Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I think the the iSchool really prepared me um, to really work in team environments within a corporate um, environment, working on a lot of projects and just, you know, from uh, an idea, building it towards proof of concept to, you know, building out a project plan to, you know, managing your resources and managing your relationships with people and information systems. I think that's where the iSchool really helped me feel comfortable when I entered the work the workforce because I think a lot of things just kept, felt very natural. Well, folks, our guest today on the Cuse Conversations podcast is Kevin Dong, who currently serves as operations analyst with JetBlue Airways. Since earning both his undergraduate and master's degrees in information management and technology from the iSchool, Kevin has spent the past eight years working in assorted roles with JetBlue, all with a focus on the company's operations, community relations, and external affairs. He also has a strong background in event planning, and in his spare time, Kevin loves to give back to his community. He's also an ardent supporter of and advocate for Syracuse University. Kevin, thanks for making the time to join us on the podcast. How are you holding up these days? Considering the circumstances of the last year and a half, uh, very well. You know, I'm, I'm still employed. I'm very happy to, um, very fortunate to have a lot of family and support system. So, you know, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. Been with JetBlue for more than eight years, and you started in January of 2020, just a few months before the pandemic, in a term operations analyst. In a couple of sentences, what does that role mean? What do you do in your current job as an operations analyst? Uh, so I was initially hired to help with the, the certification process for our, our new aircraft for our A220, um, also our, our ETOPS certification. So ETOPS is a certification that uh, an airline or operator would acquire when they want to operate within a certain um, airspace. So we wanted to launch our London routes in August of this, this year. So we needed to obtain ETOP certification to go across the um, Atlantic. And so my job was to support that, that certification process. And um, speaking with my boss, you know, as I was learning and getting acclimated, he realized that I had an affinity and um, experience doing event planning. And because I've worked with so many different departments, um, there were a lot of relationships there already to kind of execute the logistics and coordinating all the event planning for our certification events. So for the certification, you know, the FA, you work with the FA and their local office and you, they review all your manuals whenever you, you have a new um, a change to your certificate, um, any changes to aircraft or any configuration changes, you'll review manuals with them and then you'll adjust your policies, procedures and training. And then they'll also evaluate your performance through um, validation, whether it's uh, tabletop exercises and proving run flights, um, which would be flights, you know, to and from. So we just completed them to London about two days ago, and we passed our certification. So, how scary was it to work in the industry and just see the shutdown? That must have been a pretty uncertain time for a lot of the employees. Yeah, yeah it was definitely um, dramatic. Um, it was definitely. Um, when the pandemic first started, just there was just a, a feeling in the office of like, we don't know what's going to happen next. This is a, a pandemic, which turned out to be a global pandemic. And, and you know, working in hospitality, that hospitality, whether it's working in a hotel or customer service, like it impacted all these industries. And we just didn't know where, you know, 
our company would be. We didn't know if airlines would be able to survive. Um, that's the, I, I'm pretty sure that's going through every person's head um, that worked for airline, even though they didn't speak about it. Um, so I think, I think it was really challenging and it was definitely a lot of stress. I'm very fortunate that we have a leadership team at JetBlue that's very transparent. Um, so as soon as there's um, any events, whether it's um, that affects our crew members in any community, they'll put together a pocket session and they'll discuss it with our crew members and they'll be very candid on, on the situation, how it's going to impact um, our crew member population. And along the whole process uh, during the pandemic, they, they were very transparent about, you know, um, but they were also adamant about taking care of our crew members. And that, that's why I always pride uh, myself for working there and being part of that culture. So, you know, I, I pride myself on JetBlue being the only airline in, I think, in the world that did not furlough anyone during the pandemic. And, and they really wanted to um, make sure that the crew members, you know, their safety and their, their employment was first and foremost. How safe was it to travel? Because, you know, I mean, people, I think, thought they might get COVID. But once you got on the plane, that was one of the safest vehicles you could be on, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely when the pandemic started, I know there was just a sense of, like, being in a confined space within a lot of other people, breathing the same air. And then, I guess, before the, the masks were mandated, it was just more inconsistency. Um, but then, you know, just speaking and learning about the technology on the aircraft and learning about our aircraft in particular and, and getting assurance from our leaders of how we can keep our crew members safe, whether it's flight attendants, uh, pilots, um, you know, with our HVAC systems, you know, how we do our, our sanitary cleaning um, and, and exploring, uh, you know, opportunities with different business partners for, you know, looking into different technologies, whether it's a UV lights um, and, you know, just sanitary and just, just cleaning, just, just learning about the operation was really great and being a part of that process. And then we can kind of relay that messaging to our customers and give them assurance that it's safe to fly. Your, your, your background has a lot to do with, with data analysis and with the user experience. Yeah. What kind of lessons did you learn about the people you're serving with JetBlue and how they responded to this once-in-a-generation pandemic? I think I, I, I started to get a lot of insight in my previous role um, because uh, when I was in the hospitality team, um, my team's role was, first of all, we had a team that was out, out in the field and they were speaking with crew members and, on customer service standards and then um, speaking with my crew members and, and their interactions are talking about their interactions with customers. You kind of learn what drives people, what, you know, what triggers people, what, what kind of interactions they'll have and what, what kind of challenging situations um, they'll have in customer service situations. So when it came to the pandemic, you know, immediately I thought it's like, how is this going to impact our service? Um, you know, we prided ourselves on customer service standards of being able to smile, um, make, make yourself very approachable, you know, waving customers over. It's all about eye contact and a lot of these customer service standards, but once you implement a, a climate where you're wearing a mask, how do you really, you know, be as inviting to customers? And then I think in terms of, you know, when did customers kind of feel comfortable? I think it's starting once they realized that, you know, vaccinations were more available. Um, I think it, it also made our crew members feel very assured because, you know, um, our team did a great job within the safety department of, of really ensuring that we had testing um, available really, really early with Northwell Health and also, um, you know, obtaining vaccinations within our office. We even, you know, got pods of vaccinations for our office, for our frontline crew members, and also the airports um, providing that to our crew members. And once we had that assurance, I think that translates to customers feeling assured too, because, you know, the, the crew members that are serving them are all, you know, paying attention to safety, paying attention to um, wiping things down. And I think that translates.
what was it about this line of work that drew you to it? I think what really drew me, I'm first off, you know, I didn't think I was going to get a call back. You know, I was applying, you know, after I graduated, you know, going through the struggle of every student of just like, you know, trying to find their first job. Um, and I had just applied to different companies and I had thought about JetBlue just because, you know, when I was going to Syracuse, you know, there weren't many options to get back to school. And my sister used to, you know, get me flights on JetBlue um, because she had the card and everything like that. Um, and so once, you know, they, they interviewed me, they brought me to the office and I got a sense of what the culture was like. Um, just, you know, first off, I, I met with two of my hiring managers and, you know, they talked about my background. They talked about why they wanted me to work there and then um, talked about a lot of uh, potential projects and, and asked me what I was interested in doing. So first off, that was a great impression. And plus the office is just like uh, immaculate. It was a brand new office at the time, about a year old, and it felt like a, a, a really clean terminal. Um, and, and you mentioned then uh, starting off as an intern and coming and coming yeah. back to JetBlue. What about your background? Before we get into Syracuse and the role that the iSchool played, what about your background do you think really made you a strong candidate to get into this line of work? I think what, you know, a lot of the roles that, um, you know, I was referred to or, or um, my crew leaders that had uh, vouched for me when, when applying to different departments that may have not been suited for my background, you know, because I don't have an aviation background. And um, I think the strengths that really highlighted I think because of Syracuse was my project management background. Um, a lot of the principals, I think, um, just working in the organization affecting this team, you know, there were a lot of opportunities to help different departments, um, you know, refining their processes. And, you know, I would go to meetings and, you know, I was very fortunate that I had a lot of leaders that were very supportive of me adding my input. Even though I was an intern, they, they valued my input being in the room, whether it's from senior leadership or not. And, you know, I would say, there may be opportunities to look at those systems, um, evaluate um, whether the processes are there and, and applying a lot of the principles I learned at Syracuse, which was like instantly process mapping. I went to a meeting, it's like, have you ever thought about just putting the whole process down and, and mapping out the life cycle so we can understand how, um, you know, all the systems are impacted. And, um, you know, one of my biggest projects as an intern was, you know, mapping out our first fuel life cycle. So we were trying to figure out um, how we can decrease fuel burn and save money on fuel and be more environmentally sustainable. And so we realized that fuel had touched all of these, you know, every single department in, in JetBlue. Um, and so, you know, I met with all of our stakeholders. And that's something I learned at, at Syracuse is just like meeting with different stakeholders, gathering the information and presenting it to leadership in a way that, you know, it's ingestible and, and then we can kind of build business cases towards that. So, you know, I wouldn't say before Syracuse that I had that those skills, but I think because of all the coursework and through grad school, I picked that up. It's just amazing to see though how quickly, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but how quickly it went from zero to 60 with not flying or very limited air travel to now you're seeing the stories of the airports being jammed to capacity and flights being fully booked. I think that's indicative of just like everyone's, um, they're stir crazy that they haven't traveled and they haven't seen a lot of their loved ones. I think the, the vaccinations are great because it protects people and it also allows them to see their loved ones. You wouldn't travel because you, you cared about your friends. Like I haven't seen some of my really great friends for like a year and a half, just because like whether, you know, some of them are, um, their immune systems are compromised or something like that. It's like, you'll, you'll, you'll take time and you'll wait to make sure that your friends and your family, and your loved ones are safe. 
um, I think now is the opportunity for people to, you know, really get back out there and make up for that lost time, I feel. So what role does data and data analysis play in your job? Um, I'd say currently um, my role is more focused with our, my, our relationships with the FAA. Um, so I, I guess it's not as uh, data uh, heavy currently. Um, I think it's more of, I think one of my focuses right now is, is, is delivering information to the FAA regarding a lot of our, you know, onboard incidents, um, a lot of our um, customer disturbances. And I think there's value in actually looking at all that data long-term, you know, over comparison of pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, and also looking at the factors that contribute to that. And then also looking, um, I think working with FAA and getting that, that information available um, really understands customer behavior. I think that, um, once you really figure out what drives these events and actually look at the details of what, what's occurring at the gate and getting a lot of qualitative feedback from whether it's our, our frontline crew members or just, um, you know, law enforcement officials, I think there's a lot of ways we can change the air travel experience. I think, um, you know, we've been flying for so many years, a lot of the aircraft, not at JetBlue, but a lot of legacy airlines have really, you know, older aircrafts. You know, there's a lot of things we've, we haven't changed, but I think there's a lot of opportunities to refine the process. You know, we even learned locally that, you know, before the pandemic, we were really hesitant towards, you know, mobile menus. We always wanted stuff that's very tangible, but now we realize that, you know, to keep safe, you know, you go to any restaurant now, you're just, everything is just a mobile QR code, right? So I think there's a lot of opportunities to refine, um, a lot of our air travel experience. And I think that's why I like being at JetBlue just because we're a really young airline. You know, I feel like we're still in our team phases and we're always looking into new technologies, whether it's to um, look at sustainability or just merely make the customer um, experience streamlined. I want to transition to Syracuse. And you, know, you grew up in New York City. Uh, obviously, a lot of alumni come from New York City. A lot of alumni go back to New York City after they graduate. What was it about coming to Syracuse that really appealed to you? I mean, my mom was going to kill me by, by saying this, but, um, you know, when I was looking at schools, you know, I was looking at, you know, prestige, I was looking at their, you know, the academic records and, and what they're really known for. Unfortunately, I didn't know about Newhouse. It was really embarrassing that I didn't know about Newhouse before I went to Syracuse. My freshman year dorm, everyone around the room, it's like, oh, I'm here for Newhouse. And I was like, what's Newhouse? And then they all looked at me, why are you here? Um, but, you know, I, I was really interested in the high school and what it had to offer, um, yeah, my mom would kill me because I said, you know, it's far enough from New York City that she won't visit me every weekend. Um, <laughs> local. Um, that's the, that's how I always joke. But no, I think it was a great opportunity. Um, uh, I didn't get to visit many schools just because like just the resources and, and, and that. But I just happened. My sister went to the University of Rochester. And so okay. during graduation, um, her graduation going there, I convinced my parents, can we just stop by and visit campus? And I visited campus. And, you know, whenever you visit campus, Somehow the weather is always nicer. It was raining when I visited, but um, uh, I think it was just a great ex experience. I spoke to a lot of students. Just obviously they were on the way out graduating, but um, there was a lot of positive uh, messaging there. So um, I was encouraged, and you know I was happy that Syracuse accepted me. So I was like, all right, you know I I think it's a well-rounded school, and it turned out great because I didn't even think about it until I was already in my freshman. It's like this is a school that I like because it's 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 very large. It has a lot of school spirit. There's a lot of sports, division one sports. I didn't really think about that until, but I'm a huge sports fan. So I really appreciated that, that the school had so much um, activity. 
So now I, one of the things I love Kevin about um, talking uh, Syracuse with, with our alumni in the podcast is finding out what role the university played in getting them to where they are today. When you look at your Syracuse experiences, connect the dots for us. What transformative role did the university play in helping you achieve your career success? I think the, the high school really prepared me um, to really work in team environments within a corporate um, environment, working on a lot of projects and just, you know, from uh, an idea, building it towards proof of concept to, you know, building out a project plan to, you know, managing your resources and managing your relationships with people and information systems. I think that's where the iSchool really helped me feel comfortable when I entered the work, the workforce, because I think a lot of things just kept, felt very natural. Um, and I think also Syracuse, because of all their um, professional development events on campus, you know, I, I made sure whatever I heard about, I, I went to every event, I went to every organizational event, anything that I heard that was um, professional development related, I went to just because I wanted to, you know, enhance my, my resume, um, learn about presenting, like anything that I feel like would, you know, I could build upon, um, I took advantage of, uh, you know, what Syracuse has to offer. And that's why I always encourage students when I meet them, it's like, find out what's on campus, then, you know, there's a lot of free things, there's a lot of resources that are provided within different organizations, through career services, um, you know, you can get mock interviews, you can just learn about different organizations, just different professionals. I think there's a lot of resources that Syracuse had to offer. Um, and I think students, you know, if they learn how to tap into that, I think that'll really benefit them in their professional career. How about personally with your development, the, the resources? Syracuse is such a, a culturally strong campus. I mean, there's so many diverse student populations and student organizations. Yeah. What role did the university and those organizations play for you in kind of coming out of your shell and discovering who Kevin really is? Yeah, I, I think you hit upon it uh, really well. Like, I, I came out of high school very shy. Not, I wouldn't say introvert. I was very social in high school, but I just didn't really have much purpose. Um, I think um, I had mentioned this to Sarah when I when I first, you know, started as a freshman, I ran into a, a family friend. Uh, she was a, a senior about to graduate, but she was the president of one of our student organizations, Asian Students in America. And mm -hmm. she nudged me. She's like, you know, we're having a meeting. And I, I, I attended one of their meetings. And, you know, after a certain amount, like, I always felt like I wanted to speak up because they were talking about student body issues. They were talking about issues within the Asian American community. And, and, and I felt empowered. And I guess I, I guess I can be loud, but I, I do feel like I had a voice. Uh, I was empowered to have a voice and just the involvement in different organizations. Um, not, I was involved in multiple organizations, just not the Asian organization. Um, you know, I feel like that's where you really build relationships within the community. And I think those community relationships really allowed their, you know, it's, it's a foundation for change. Um, if you want to see change within policy or, or um, opportunities for students on campus, or if you just want to see, you know, more programming catered towards, you know, the next generation of students or, or just, you know, underrepresented communities, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So, you know, even though I wasn't uh, Latino in background, you know, my, my roommate, my sophomore year convinced me to, to start going to La Lucha meetings, which is a, a Latino organization, student organization. And then they convinced me to join the executive board. And 
And everyone's like, why are you on that? You know, it doesn't serve, you know, the Asian community. I'm like, well, it serves a student community. There's, you know, student body. We have the same issues. And, and I think just getting involved and learning about other people's perspective, I think that's really undervalued. And I think that's where I, what I, what I want to encourage people. It's like, you know, you can always try things out and you can, you know, discover that it's not for you, but I think there's a lot of ways you can resonate with other people um, with different backgrounds. So. How have you then carried forward that torch of community involvement and, and advocacy? I know it's been, there's been horrible bias incidences that mm-hmm. we've dealt with since the yeah. pandemic. Uh, there's all sorts of Asian American and Pacific Islander uh, verbal abuses that we've seen, horrible transgressions. Yeah. How have you been able to build upon that foundational success that you built at Syracuse to then be an advocate for your community now? Yeah, definitely. I, it, it didn't occur to me until like, obviously the influx of events during the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I, I do share the, the experience as a lot of Asian Americans who, you know, whether I experienced it, you know, in New York city on the subway or just in, around the street, like I never talked about those interactions, whether they were, you know, blatant racism or if it was actually, you know, physical altercations or, or microaggressions. Um, microaggressions happen all the time in the workplace, um, in, you know, amongst friends. Like, I, I think this was an opportunity. I think Syracuse, like, gave me that voice. Um, I didn't tap into it for many years just because, I guess, without the media highlighting it and, and without as much attention drawn to it and without people recording these incidents. Um, and that, that happens with all of our, our social injustice and, and instance we've had ever since George Floyd. I think these these things always happens um i think it's just people weren't empowered to speak about it and i think the ability to record and technology has really enabled people to really have a voice and also um it's also the newer generations because they're more assimilated to um you know the u.s they're the ones that are like taking the torch it's like all right you know my elderly uncle or or grandparents you know may have a language barrier cultural barrier and they didn't feel comfortable speaking um, now they, we can take the torch because we're the younger generation and we'll speak for you and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll make change happen. So it, it, it's, it's inspiring to see the empowerment that comes from community involvement and, and everybody, not just people in the AAPI community, but yeah. you know, the white, the African-American, the Latinx, you know, whatever you are. I mean, an injustice against one is an injustice against all of us. And we really need to find a way to stand up and speak out against this, regardless of whether it's happening to you or you see it happening. Yeah. And I'm reminded of like my experience at Syracuse. I think I, I always tout this. It's like um, my friends at Syracuse and, you know, our relationships with all the student organizations, whether it's Caribbean, Taiwanese, um, Latino, like organization, multicultural, um, the Greek organizations, I, I feel like I was there at a very special time where there was a really great relationship between all the student organizations. And I think we had a lot of cross cl- uh, collaboration. We had like um, Asian Latino events. We had our, uh, I know I worked with people on our first uh, diversity ball. So I think, you know, just seeing how, you know, as students we can come together regardless of all the differences and we can speak for each other and, and show up and support each other at events. I think that's kind of what I saw envisioning like coming back to New York City the same way I get involved obviously there weren't a lot of things happening when I graduated I was more focused on my career but then uh, this past two years or so obviously it's it's first and foremost on in terms of like keeping our community safe and, and that's where we really relate to other people right at the end of the day 
we care about our families being safe, our loved ones being safe, and just getting home and feeding our family. Like those are the essentials, right? And that's how we can relate to other people and, and put aside all those differences, skin color and all that stuff, and just relate to each other. It's really a powerful message that should resonate with everybody who's listening to the podcast, as is your advocacy for giving back to your community. I understand you've got a Facebook group uh, that's a little bit special. It's more than your, your run-of-the-mill kind of Facebook group where you might be ch- chatting about Syracuse basketball or you know politics. Tell us about the volunteer opportunities and where your passion for this comes from. Sure. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't say it's like a fantastic or like really, you know, really active group, but it was something I, I, I put together when I came back to New York City. You know, when a lot of people graduate college, they come to their city and their home and they they want to get involved in their communities. Right. So, you know, I, I came back to New York. It's like, I want to get involved. I want to volunteer. That's something I really learned to do when I was in Syracuse of getting involved with organizations. How can I apply myself in, in my free time? And so um, I started looking out for free events, volunteer opportunities, going to New York Cares, any organization I could find, any any young commit, uh, young professional committee, I would join or go to the meetings and see what the organization is about and learn, is this something that really resonates with me? Um, and I, you know, I got involved with um, the Alzheimer's Association because of my RA had saw that, you know, I was interested in volunteer opportunities and she, she was part of the, the, the junior committee for that that organization. So she invited me. I was like, oh, well, I don't have any um, backgrounds or I don't have anyone that's impacted in my family from Alzheimer's, but I wanted to contribute because of my event planning background. And I started doing this for a while. And then I realized that, you know, my friends are always asking about, they want to get involved in New York City. So I, I created this Facebook group, you know, it has a really corny name. It was just like, stay active, volunteer and go to events with Kevin. And then I just, started <laughs> it's right into the point. It's direct. Yeah, it's, it's very, so people, you know, they have free time. They want to do something in New York city. There's so many free opportunities, so many experiences, exhibits, um, organizations that need help. It's just more about sourcing that, you know, reliable volunteers to them. And I felt like I was a person that because I worked so many events and volunteer with so many organizations, I feel like I can kind of channel that interest and put it towards organizations that really need, um, need support. Um, and that kind of just, uh, translated to me finding my own opportunities. Um, so, you know, I'm very involved right now with St. Jude and Make-A-Wish. Um, but that was just by happenstance because of referrals. Um, one of my friends, Syracuse alumni, um, he knew I was looking for volunteer opportunities. Um, and he just referred me to a, uh, a St. Jude event in Brooklyn. I showed up and there were no other volunteers there. So, um, I helped them break down the entire event and they were just, you know, really happy about, you know, my dedication. And, and then because I brought my camera, I was, uh, I was starting to get into photography at the time. I took one picture of the staff and they, you know, they enjoyed it after the fact. And they said, you know, we need a photographer for a golf event next week. Can you help? And then they said, Oh, well, we have a happy hour for our young professionals committee the week after. Can you help with that? And then that's where it kind of, um, the snowball started rolling and, you know, I went to the happy hour event and they're just like, Oh, well you're a young professional and you're taking photos for this event. You might as well just join their committee as well. And it's like, all right, I'll look into that. And I started attending the meeting. So now I guess, you know, years go by, it's like, like five years or so. Now I'm part of one of their committees. Um, I'm also taking photos for a lot of their events and I'm just volunteering in any capacity I can. So. I did want to keep on that volunteer notion, but kind of tie it back to another personal um, event for you. What role um, 
did the loss of your father play when it came to your drive to again, give back to again, organizations like make a wish and St. Jude's. Yeah. And when you speak to anyone about, you know, their volunteer, you know, giving back to the community, you know, sometimes it, it, it means more when they have a personal connection. Right. So um, I was just starting to get um, my, my father had, you know, just suddenly uh, was diagnosed with, um, with stage four pancreatic cancer. Um, so like in the few days before Christmas in 2014, you know, I saw that my dad had, had, we were going out to eat for just a simple lunch. And I just noticed my dad had some yellowing in his eyes, like, and he had some indigestion. My sister's a nurse, uh, a oncology nurse working with blood cancer. So just, she was just like, I think there's, I think you should probably take him to the ER that night. Um, and I, I took him to the ER and we got the unfortunate news. Um, and, you know, within a month he was, you know, diagnosed, went through a lot of hospitals and, and eventually he passed away within, you know, a month. And, um, you know, I, I like to share my story with others because like, I know a lot of my friends, family, I didn't really, I wasn't really exposed to, you know, cancer before my dad got sick. And then just going through that process within a month really helped me understand how much people are going through, um, you know, around the world. It's like, people are going through this for years, decades of just their, their family members being sick. And, and I don't mind talking about my story because for me, I'm very fortunate. My dad didn't suffer that long. So um, I think that also just happened the timing wise that when my friend told me about the St. Jude opportunity um, and I got involved with St. Jude and I just started hearing from the patient families at events when they were speaking. And then as part of the committee and the volunteer committee, uh, on the volunteer opportunities, I got invited to go visit the hospital at our volunteer leadership conference uh, every year. And I got to actually visit the hospital, walk the halls, see how happy the children are and how, how assured the family members were because St. Jude makes sure they, they take care of all the bills, transportation, lodging. So then the parent can be there in a present, be present and be there with their kids and just care about getting their, their child back to full health. And, and just thinking about my father's you know, he's very fortunate to live a long life, 64 years. Um, these children are, you know, toddlers to two years old and they're, they're in there doing chemo every week and they haven't had a chance to live their life yet. So that's kind of why I really wanted to get involved. And, and that's why I kind of put St. Jude in the forefront and just, you know, I saw opportunities to get just volunteer random events with Make-A-Wish and I, I expressed interest in doing more. And that also was impacting you know, children that were also dealing with, you know, terminal illnesses or cancer or just, you know, dire circumstances. So I I think I wanted to get involved because that's the next generation. Those that's important. Like what we're doing now builds a foundation for those kids to have a better life. So that's kind of why I wanted to get more involved with those organizations. So I'm sure you get asked all the time because I know you love to speak to students. What advice do you give students who might be listening, uh, who maybe they're all going through the rough patch of the pandemic, trying to find yeah. a career for themselves. What, what are some of your words of wisdom to the students? I, I know it's like, it's uncharted territory. So I know my, my advice, I'm, I'm a lot of years out of school. So I know my experience may not be the, the same. Um, but I, and I know we're getting more um, used to this new um, environment and you are getting used to getting back, back out there and being social again. I think once you're feeling comfortable um, that you can get out there safely. Um, I think just just start getting involved within your community. Um, there's a lot of value there. You, you really gain a lot 
personally and professionally when you you get perspective from other people that are not like you um i think it also helps your professional development because you're working with different organizations or going to events you're able to um, build skills whether it's um, being comfortable talking to people talking about your own story learning from people you learn from people from different industries i think you know getting out there is a good way to really you know grow as a person and at the same breath of it you're gaining experience and um i tell people go to events um you never know what you'll find you always meet at least one person even if you're not going to return or go to the event and that that one person you know builds your credibility so you know you know one person at an event you go to another event you meet one person you know you go to a few events you don't even have to introduce yourself there's three people that know you and they can vouch for you i think that's just a good way of just organically building your network i know it's it's definitely more of a challenge because we're we're not getting back to events. We're not as have, um, we're just starting to have sporting events and, and networking events again. But I think just getting involved in your community really helps you grow as a person. And it's, it's more fulfilling. I think when you, when you look back, it's like, what did I do for other people? I think that that really sits with you. And it's like, all right, I'm really made an impact, not just on myself, but you know, people I spoke to. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. You've had a great story to share with us and uh, hopefully it resonated with the audience. We wish you nothing but the best uh, with your career at JetBlue. And I'm so glad that Syracuse helped you find your voice and find your passion. Yeah, I, I appreciate everything that that Syracuse has done for me, um, all the opportunities. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, a lot of alumni events happening again. Um, thank you so much for your time today, John. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.